1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 says this, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if, you were not, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, and in brackets, I've included the word action. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Father, as we look at the word of God this morning, we want to thank you for those words that um, the apostles of old, wrote down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our benefit so that we may know you better and so that we may walk worthy of the calling that you've called us with. And so we thank you, Father, for these living words in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've looked at 1 Corinthians, um, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and we, we know that he understood who these people were, and so in chapter 1, he starts out and he lays a foundation, and he says to them, you've been saved into this grace in which you stand. It is not by your works or by your effort that you've come into this. I've chosen you, I've called you, and by my Spirit, I've drawn you, and you responded, and um, God saved you and put eternity within your heart. So he starts off and he explains to the church at Corinth what their position is in Christ. Then he starts and he addresses certain issues within the church and within the people's lives, and we've looked at some of them. And um, last week we started to look at what are the marks of mature believers in Christ. Because you see, when we get saved, God doesn't only save us from an eternity without Him, which the Bible calls hell. But He saves us also into an eternity with Him where we will live with Him forever and forever and forever. But He is also interested in our lifestyle here on earth. So he gives us, through his Holy Spirit, every means to grow up as mature adults within the faith. There is a stage when we are like little babies, and he speaks about that in chapter 2 and 3, where we drink the milk as little babies do. 
And they need milk at that time. And he says, I cannot give you meat. You need milk. And then he says, you, you go to the next stage and, and you get food fit for that time within your lives. But the object is that we as Christians will continue to grow and mature within our faith. And the issues that we tripped over in our lives last year, that through God, we have the ability in him to overcome those things that were like a mountain within our life last year. This year, it's like a hill. And maybe the next year, it becomes just like a little lump there. And you just start to overcome and you grow more and more and more. And that is the object of Paul's writing here. And so last week we looked at the first mark of a mature believer is to be faithful in God. Faithful in the things that God puts in front of us. The key word of 1 Corinthians is actually the word faithfulness. And Paul repeatedly mentions the word faithfulness. He says, this is my dear servant who has been faithful. So it is a very strong mark of a mature believer is to grow in faithfulness. As God works within us and he transforms us. And this is a lifelong journey. doesn't happen overnight. And that's the good news. And each of us in this journey is at a different place than the other person. And Paul says, we don't look at each other to judge one another. And he speaks about that in chapter 3. But he says, we ought to look at ourselves. And we need to move on to maturity. Because we're all at different levels. We had the great privilege of sitting Jen and I, with a precious new lady within our church. And she wanted to know how she could become a member of this church. And we spent an hour or so with her, which was one of the most delightful hours we could spend. And there was just such a joy within our hearts to see how she's laying a hold of this Christian faith, which we cherish within our hearts. My friends, this Christian faith is a deposit that has been given to us. It's almost like God has given us something which is of great value. It's a treasure. And as we treasure this treasure, it just grows and it becomes much more special to us. And this lady just said to us, it is so wonderful to belong. She says, I've never felt I belonged anywhere. I walked inside here, and I've been here for a while. And she said, I belong. Isn't that amazing? She's found this treasure of belonging to God's family, the church. The Bible says, in which he shed his blood for. Church, Christ shed his blood for. She is very, very special. Be very, very careful how you talk about the church. Because she's speaking about the apple of his eye. 
Be very careful how you touch the church because you're touching the apple of his eye. And Paul is writing to this church. And he says, this church is his church. And he says that as a result, let's walk worthy of that calling of being his church because we're the apple of his eye. You know, in those moments of intimacy with him, it is just wonderful to feel his pleasure when you're with him. You know, some people are so insecure within their faith with God that they never feel his pleasure. They always feel his displeasure, and it's a lie of the enemy. It's a lie of the enemy. God wants us to feel his pleasure where we stand in that incredible grace that he's called us into. We're the apple of his eye. And so as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, we need to understand that he's got that understanding as he speaks to them. And so words that he says to them are strong. I love Paul's personality because he doesn't mince his words. He really goes to the heart of the issue and he addresses it. And that's why when you read through the book of Corinthians, you'll find out that Paul wasn't always very popular. They preferred some of the other preachers who were not as direct as Paul. But he loved the church because he understood that the church is the apple of the eye of God. And we are his church. Isn't that wonderful? That's marvelous. That's how he looks at us today. That's how he feels about us. That's why he says he loves to come and just to dwell amongst his church. Have you ever gone to visit a family and you are with them and they just make you feel so special? You're with them, and man, they, they, uh, they just look after you, you know, and, and you know you are just so special. Well, that is God's church. That's the family that Paul is speaking about. And so I want us to look at the second mark of what it means to be a mature believer. And... Um, there's a couple of phrases which is really important when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 20. Again, you will see within the writings here that we've just read, um, Paul says, For this reason I've sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, and what is the phrase? Who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere within the church. And then the verse before that, he says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Now the word imitate basically means to mimic me. A mime is one who acts out a story Without using words, of course, we are to speak words, especially gospel words, but our lives should back up the authenticity of the gospel 
message. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, again the book of Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now when I read those words, my knees start to shake. Because, you know, I just feel, Lord, I am not worthy for others to follow so that they could see you. That's my immediate response when I used to read these words. I'm just not worthy. Should others, what are their lives going to look like if they follow me? What are my children's lives going to look like if they follow me? Are they actually going to find you if they mimic my lifestyle? Well, Paul is saying, well, that's exactly what our attitude ought to be like as believers of Christ. We ought to say to people, follow me, follow my actions, follow my beliefs, follow my be uh, convictions, because if you do so, you will be following Christ. So Paul is actually saying to the church at Corinth, at the moment your actions do not mimic your beliefs, what you say. You're saying one thing, but then you live differently. He says, for others to grow in their faith, they actually need to follow you because you are the hand, the feet, the mouth, the body of Christ Jesus. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so what is the second mark of a mature believer? Well, I've just included this wonderful phrase that we've used so many times in our lives, and we oftentimes use it flippantly, and other times we use it to judge other people. And the phrase is just simply, a mark of a mature believer is that we practice what we preach. We practice what we preach. How do you feel about that? Does that kind of scare you? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Because the Bible says that God has given us everything that we need for life and for God. As a matter of fact, Peter wrote that to the church. He says, he's given you everything you need for life and for godliness. And so he says, follow me as I follow Christ. The first expression of saying, practice what you preach, came two centuries before the book of Matthew was written in the works of a Roman playwright, Titus Plautus. He used the words, practice what you preach, and it appears in Act 3 of Scene 3. Practice what you preach. As a matter of fact, Jesus mimicked those words in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 4, when he says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Isn't that cool? I need, for some reason, and please don't judge me on this, but I never thought that Jesus actually said those words. 
But Jesus actually said those words. He says they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Aren't you glad that Jesus practiced what he preached and that he lifts that finger when our burdens get heavy and he takes it off of us? He's a worthy God to be followed. If someone say that someone practices what they preach, they mean that they behave in the way that they encourage other people to behave in. They ought to practice what they preach. Have you ever heard the classic one that parents normally say? Don't do as I do, do what I say. Ish. Maybe all of us have said it from time to time. I found a few twists in this common phrase. Practice what you preach. The New York Times says, it's practice that makes perfect, not preach it. In the Daily Gazette, preaching and practice are twins that too often get separated. The Dallas Morning News, very relevant to me. The man who practices what he preaches cuts his sermon short. When a man's life does not preach... His preaching cannot live, Henry Cope says in the Chicago Tribune. And then Hamilton Park says, have you ever thought how embarrassing it might be to have to preach what you practice? There's a story of a mother that went to Gandhi with her son. She says, my son eats too much sugar. Please talk to him, said the mother. Gandhi sent her away and asked her to come back with her son in a month's time. She came back. Gandhi looked at the son and said, don't eat so much sugar. The mother was put out. She said, why did you not say this a month ago? Gandhi responded, a month ago, I ate too much sugar too. My friends, this is basically the mark of a mature believer is to get to that place within our lives, broken and fallen as we are, where we could say to someone that's walking with us, follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus. It's not a religious phrase. It's not an arrogant phrase. Paul wasn't religious. religious, Paul wasn't arrogant, but he was a man who was passionately sold out to Jesus. And that every single one of us can aspire to.
when we practice what we preach, we don't just talk the talk, as you have heard before. You walk the walk. Embodying the advice, rules or principles you're quick to suggest to others. It's a call to avoid hypocrisy and to strive for authenticity or genuineness. Every couple that joins us on eldership, and over the years that we've led eldership teams, one of the hallmarks and one of the principles that we oftentimes visit when we have to correct someone who's fallen into sin, and, and, and what we do is we go to Peter and we go to James, and we visit that package which says, well, you've got to gently restore them because you've got to beware you may fall into the same trap. You know, it's, 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 it's that thing that we understand so much. We've, we've got to be genuine. We've got to be authentic. But Paul says you've got to check your doctrine closely. Check what you believe. You, you've got to check the way that you live, the way that you walk, what you say, what you do, the habits that you have, because there is always someone who is following you whether you like it or not. That's the truth. And why not rather follow the Lord Jesus and those who follow us that we could lead them in the way that brings life to them. Amen? Because people follow you whether you like it or not. So we might as well follow the Lord Jesus. How do you practice what you preach? as I was just reading through so many commentaries and just trying to hear what other guys are saying, this is something that just started to burn within my heart. And um, it's a peer belief that, I, that I'm sure is biblical, but, but, but I really do believe uh, for us uh, to get to the place where we practice what we preach, if we do this, it will just... Um, correct our lifestyle. And it's such a simple truth, but I found within my own life to walk genuinely before you. Uh, this is something that's crucial for me to, uh, to do often and often and often. And it is simply by truly believing what I confess or what I say. And so that's the first point. How do I practice what I preach is by truly believing what I confess. That's the wonderful thing when you walk with people, when you're in the midst of a congregation, and leaders need to be in the midst of the people. I've got a very strong belief, and even when I look at the church at present, I believe every single leader. If the leader is not found in the middle of the people of the congregation, and if he's not found outside there with people who do not know Jesus, I think we're falling way short of following Christ Jesus. Amen? Because you see what happens when we live our lives amongst you. What we say is tested in what we actually believe. Our way of life. 
How do you practice what you believe? By truly believing the right message or by believing what you confess to be true. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. The gospel gives us the foundation to believe in the message that is so precious to us. The gospel produces a passion within us in which we walk out the example of Christ in the world that we live in and people will start to follow you because you're following Christ. But it's what you and I believe that matters. Because belief gives way to action. My friends, sometimes we just need to sit back. We need to look at our actions and our actions will actually tell us what we truly believe. You can say that you believe this, but if your actions doesn't prove it, then you actually don't believe it. James says that, doesn't he? So clearly within the Bible. He says we shouldn't only be hearers of the word, but we should be doers of the word. A banner in Copenhagen said this, and it said, Rest in peace, Sir Bobby Cholton. He's kind of like um, the man over football for many years. He is a Manchester United legend, and he died um, this past week. And this is what the banner read. It said, passion is what separates the good from the great. I want you to think about that. Passion is what separates the good from the great. Obviously talking about Sir Bobby Charlton. My friends, when the gospel message is central within our lives, every decision that we make, we filter through the lens of the gospel. What, what that produces is a passion in our hearts for Christ that nothing else can produce. And we need to rekindle that flame within our hearts for the gospel to be rekindled within our lives. And my friends, the passion that it demonstrates is not a passion that you could generate by yourself. The Holy Spirit takes that message and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes big within our lives again, bigger than anything else. And we start to re-evaluate our values in the light of the gospel. And that changes us. That is when we practice what we preach. My friends, secondly, you practice what you preach. And I love this. But just keep on practicing. 
Let's get rid of all of the religious superiority here. Let's get rid of, oh, I've got to be mature before someone can follow me. I've got to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. Someone else is always going to be, be more mature than you. Always going to be someone who's going to be less mature than you. But it's your walk that counts. People follow you. So how do you keep on practicing what you preach? But just keep on practicing what you preach. I was watching football with, with a family this past week. Their son uh, was playing football, and we were just here at the Latech here, and we were just watching him, and, and, and the son walked to his father, and the father looked at the son, and he says, practice makes what? And the son said, practice makes perfect. My friends, to take the pressure off of us to perform, because we're not a performing group of people. Jeez, we're so not in the performance mode. But my friends, when we understand that tomorrow is another day for us to redo what we failed in today, <laughs> we've got another chance tomorrow. So let's just do it again. Christians are people who are flawed, but have enough faith within their heart to forgive themselves because Christ does. And we just practice it again. Doesn't that take pressure off of you? I just thought about myself. My goodness. I'm so human to the core. How do you preach this message? It's just living my life every single day and practicing again tomorrow what I did today. Paul verifies that when he writes to the church, he just says to them, I'm writing this to, what is the word that he writes oftentimes? I write this to you to remind you. Because people were saying, Paul, you keep telling us the same thing. Paul says, well, I'm going to write this to you over and over and over again. And that's how we learn. So I'm writing it to you again. Paul was very secure within himself. And so he said, come on, just practice it again. My friends, if you sin today in the whole thing of forgiving someone else, my friends, just say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness as I stand before you, as I confess my sins before you. But tomorrow I'm going to do better in that area. And when it happens to me again, I'm going to practice forgiveness. Come on, church, let's practice it over and over and over again. And people who follow us will much better follow Jesus. And it's a truth, as I was preparing that, just kind of set me free. And I thought, Lord, how can we make this just where we all live? And I really, really did feel within my heart the Spirit of God is saying, just, just continue to practice what you believe. Just practice it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. The B part of the sentence says, He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Teachers teach us to practice so that we can become and I say it advisedly, become perfect. 
Just practice it. Our children do have a way of imitating their parents, either for good or for bad. (laughs) And it is a great privilege as we follow Jesus for our children to follow us. And then lastly, how do we practice what we preach? And this is seriously important. And it seems so basic, but it's actually so powerful. For us to practice what we preach, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is there anyone who can say a yes on that one? My friends, it is way too big of a burden for me to carry to say to you, Follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. This is not a cliche. It's a living truth that resides within us. That when we understand the dynamic of the Holy Spirit within our lives, we are actually saying, with Him, we can do it. Without Him, we will fail miserably. And I'm so glad it's not something that I do, but it's something that the Holy Spirit produces within me to do. My friends, it's a common practice of ours constantly just to stand before God and to say, boy, I am so low on the fullness of the Spirit within my life. I just open up my heart to you. Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? I think probably this is one of the prayers I pray mostly within my life. Often, I just say, Lord, would you just fill me with the Holy Spirit? Because I know I cannot walk and follow Jesus without the one who can make it possible for me to live that way. I open up my heart to the Holy Spirit. If you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, you're going to struggle with this for the rest of your life. If you are distant from the Holy Spirit, you're going to struggle with this truth for the rest of your life. You need to break down those barriers that you have within your mind about the Holy Spirit. My friends, the Bible is so clear when Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians when he says to them, um, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. My friends, the Holy Spirit wants to fellowship with us. My friends, we were together with the family last night and a couple of families and we ate together and we drank together and we shouted together and we almost cried together. We fellowship together. My friends, this is how the Holy Spirit is. He wants to fellowship with us. But my friends, the greatest obstacle that prevents him from fellowshipping with us is not his desire. It is our closeness to him. 
If you are miserable within your faith, my friends, just say to the Holy Spirit, I'll open up my life to you, fellowship with me. Out of that, there will be an abundance of joy. And my friends, that type of joy draws people to walk with you. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, But I will come to you very soon, Paul says to the church, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to influence our actions. Because he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but, we, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. That means you will follow me. And you'll tell people to imitate me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When you are filled with the Spirit, you have the power to embody what you preach and what you say. It's not of you and I. It's of him. It's because of him that we could do it. I remember a wonderful story about my, my parents. At that stage, my father was not a follower of Christ. And I must have been, oh, maybe 13, 14 years of old and just started to develop this passion for Christ. And my mother was just a passionate believer in Christ. Got saved when she was nine years old. And my mother, just like so many of you are doing, she tried to influence my dad in the faith. And so she used all kinds of people to come to the house to come and visit my dad. And I remember there was a wonderful pastor that I only knew for a short little while. And so he had a great sense of humor. And my dad too. My dad would tease everyone who would come to visit us. He was just a joyful man, a quick-witted man. And uh, my mom thought this pastor would be able to connect with my dad. Because my dad said, hey, I will drop you guys off of church. You go. But for me, there's just too many hypocrites in the church. Have you ever heard that? Just too many hypocrites. I said to someone a little while ago, I said, because they say there's just too many hypocrites within the church. I said, you know, my Bible says that Jesus is the friend of sinners. And uh, my Bible says that Jesus dwells with his church. And if the church is full of hypocrites, at least Jesus is humble enough to be amongst hypocrites within the church. And so that was my dad's big argument. He says the church is full of hypocrites. So this man walked in. And he sat down, and um, this man said to my father, because he knew a little bit about my father, he says, Mr. Wallace, why don't you go and get your Bible so that I can read from it? Knowing full well that my dad was not a Christian. So my dad got up, and he said, where is that green Bible within our house? I said to my mom, my mom said this. So he went, they got that green big Bible that my mom used to read Bible stories from us. And he put it in front of the pastor there. And the pastor took the Bible and he, <laughs> and he blew all 
the dust, as it were, off of the Bible. And my dad took the Bible back from him. He said, yeah, we only use this Bible when the pastor comes to visit. You see, my friends, practicing what we preach. And years later, at the age of about 62, my father, in the most glorious way, in the church that Jenny and I got married in, I was privileged to preach that Sunday. My sister and their family was there. And after I preached, I gave a call for people to be saved. And my sister sat next to my dad. And she said, Dad, don't you think it's time? And my dad looked at her and she said, it is time. She took his hand and they walked to the front with some other people too. And my dad got saved at that moment. And do you know what? He never again used the phrase, there's too many hypocrites within the church. Because now he was a part of that church. <laughs> and you know what? He wouldn't miss a Sunday of worship because his heart had been transformed. Transformed. If he missed church, it was for a very, very good reason. His heart was tried. Transformed, it was changed. My friends, when the Holy Spirit comes and when we open up our heart towards Him, He makes the gospel message alive to us. And suddenly, we want to be with God's people on a Sunday. Don't come just because we have to, we want to. change of heart. I think God wants to change our hearts so that we can practice what we preach.